But when we say love, we mean putting people at the center of work by creating a workplace that puts humanity first. Welcome to the Doing Good Business Podcast, designed to bring out the best in you and your organization. I'm Laura Heacock, a leadership coach on a mission to create a culture where business is the true balance of head and heart. I work with leaders and companies on how to leverage my brand of kindness to gain powerful results. And I'm Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business, helping you shift conversations to identify what works and find ways to build on that success with people, planet, and profit in mind. The Doing Good Business Podcast is the place to learn about transformational leadership qualities and purpose-driven business practices that are essential to success in today's modern market. You can make the world a better place through business, and the business case for that starts now. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Doing Good Business. Kelly and I are so happy to be back in your ears today. And I just said to Kelly before I hit record, I love it when we can start an episode with laughter. And Mm. I have no doubt that the next half hour or so is going to be filled with lots of that. We are so excited to have Muhammad and Frank with us, and they are from a company called Softway. So Muhammad and Frank, whoever wants to introduce themselves first, please do. And I'm sure by way of introduction, our listeners will very easily understand why you're here with us today. Muhammad, kick us off, man. All right. right. Get us started, Mo. Hi, everybody. My name is Muhammad Anwar. I am the president and CEO of Softway, a business-to-employee technology solutions company. But also, we have another company that we spun off from Softway called uh, Culture Plus, where we offer culture as a service. So I'm a president of both organizations. I love the culture as a service concept. That's awesome. All right. So it's down to you, Frank. Oh, my gosh. This is so, this is so stressful. Hi, so, hi, everybody. My name is Frank Dana. I work with Muhammad at both companies, <laughs> Softway and Culture Plus, as well as a co-author of Love as a Business Strategy. I can often be found be found um, perfecting the art of brewing, drinking, and sharing coffee with friends and family. Um, this is a audio only podcast, but I am a huge fan of collecting limited edition posters. And since you can't see me, just imagine that I'm in a room full of limited edition pop culture posters. Um, and I very much enjoy spending time with my family as well as my colleagues and friends. Um, and I'm very excited to be here today. So we can vouch for that. Kelly and I did get to see you before we uh, started recording. There's Absolutely. lots of cool posters. And I feel like we're in like in good sync because I had some coffee before we, we started hanging out. So welcome. How was it prepared? <laughs> Not in a way that I would share because I'm ashamed that you're a coffee aficionado <laughs> and I have a little single brew. It's a single brew, but I didn't grind the beans. I did nothing fancy. <laughs> it was a great time. I had a great time today with you. I had a really fun time. <laughs> You can you can talk to Kelly. I'll just quietly if, exit. Unfortunately, if people aren't brewing with Chemex or V60, I I can't have conversations with like I don't. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I don't I'm not that snobby. I promise mean. you. I promise. Teach me. Teach, I have a friend with a French press. Does that get me anything? No. <laughs> okay. All right, Kelly, take it away. I'm out. Yeah, it doesn't get any better over here. I'm a tea drinker. But however, I'm going to slide right into. We are so grateful to have you both here with us today. And as our listeners know, and you are probably familiar with already, one of the reasons this podcast exists is because we believe people should be able to bring the best of who they are to work and put it into practice in business. So we are loving what you do. And I want to kind of focus in on the book, Love as a Business Strategy. Because I think this is a really new concept or newer concept for many people. 
So I'm insanely curious, as I often am, around when you were envisioning love as a business strategy, what were some of the exciting possibilities that you imagined that have actually become part of the strategy? I'm just assuming there's some stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor, but you know, what really came to life when you were talking about how are we going to do this? So I think to kind of envision how it helped our business, I have to step a little back to talk about how we even came to learn about love as a business strategy. So I'd like to just take Perfect. a step back before we answer that question. So, um, you know, running the business, a technology firm, um, you know, I believe that I had hit a pinnacle of success running it for 10 years. We had over 300 employees and I was living the life of an entrepreneur and I was enjoying all the perks and benefits of a successful business. However, that started to change for us. Our business uh, steadily started to decline um, and we were almost on the verge of bankruptcy and people were leaving the organization left and right, were hemorrhaging mm. cash. And we also had to resolve to layoffs uh, okay. in 2015, where we had to lay off over 100 employees of a 300-employee organization. And at that moment in time, as an owner of the company, I had lost all my confidence and uh, hope in the survival of Softway. And it wasn't only until I had a moment of introspection and learned of the concept of culture of love from a sports team uh, that I witnessed that I not learn about love. And so I had this amazing opportunity to witness a football game for my alma mater and they had a 20 point comeback win in that game. And I was very excited by it. And I went, uh, came into Monday rejuvenated to run the business uh, without giving up, just like the football team had not gave up. And uh, I logged on to Facebook Live to hear then Coach, Coach Tom Herman uh, speak to the press. Uh, and in that press conference, there was a question asked what had led to the resilience of his team and success that night. And that's when he introduced me to the concept of culture of love because he attributed the success that football team had was all because of the love the team had for one another and the culture of love that they had practiced and embodied inside of that sports team that had got them to win that night. And he went on to elaborate that that's how teams win championships, not mm. just by talent, but by the love and the culture of love for one another. So I took that very seriously and I began to introspect and ask myself, do I love my team? And the answer was a resounding no. And that was when I recognized that the company was in a jeopardy of its existence because of my selfish attitude, my selfish behaviors. And uh, the desire for greed of money had led me to take decisions and run the business down to almost bankruptcy. And uh, I had to, from then on, commit to going on a journey of borrowing that philosophy of culture of love that exists in sports teams and bringing it to the business world and uh, start by doing uh, stuff for myself to change my behaviors so that I can love my team, but then create an environment where everybody could love and support one another. And so that's how our journey began. Uh, it was out of a situation that was 
very dire and consequential to our existence. And I encountered this culture of love through a sports game that I watched. Right, right. And from there, we began to figure out how do we now institute this in business? We've heard of it in the locker rooms, in the, in, in, uh, on the field, on the courts, but not at a workplace. The most we've heard it in a workplace is in a meeting saying, hey, you play offense, I'll play defense, I'll be quarterback. But nobody ever talks about the culture that sports teams have at a workplace. So that's when we began on this journey of building an organization uh, that is founded on culture of love. Hmm. Well, and I'll, I'll piggyback off of that into mm-hmm. kind of answering that question that you asked earlier, which is when we were setting out to write this book, Love is a Business Strategy, we really wanted to define what love is because most people think Hallmark rom-com where your hot best friend is your soulmate and or it strikes fear in the hearts of every HR person ever. Sure. Um, and that is absolutely not what we were trying to accomplish with this. We were trying to be provocative with a word like love, but when we say love, we mean putting people at the center of work by creating a workplace that puts humanity first. Mm. And that's really it. So our approach was to create a, a book and showcase a, a different approach to how you could structure business by putting people first and some of the attributes and the actions that love have and how that can actually create an environment where people feel like they belong, Mm -hmm. like they're included, like they're able to bring their full selves, like you mentioned. And so it truly means doing things out of the care for others, embracing hard conversations, a company taking the time to build processes, tools, and policies that align people with profits. Those elements are are necessary to build a a great company and a great culture and those are some of the the many things that we learned along this journey not only of transforming and and completely taking our company from the brink of disaster to the pinnacle of success but also in writing this book we wanted to make sure that these are clearly articulated because we want everyone from any part of any organization to see themselves as having a role to play in building a culture of love Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's very powerful. And Frank, were you with Mo at this time when he was going through this introspection? I was. I actually was, I've known him for quite a long time since I was 18, actually. Um, okay. So it's that, been- Wow, that is a long time. No, it is a long time. I have no yeah. idea. <laughs> That's I'm in my mid eighties. I'm kidding. So <laughs> you're um, 27. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm 33, I'm but I, <laughs> I do want to, I do want to say that I've, I was there um, alongside of him and I had known him outside of work and inside of work and, you know, seeing him take this, this massive leap forward. Mm-hmm. First of all, recognizing that the issues that our company were, were going through as you know, the buck stopped with him essentially. Right. Um, and there was one particular moment that I'll remember. It was a few months after this game had happened and the layoffs had happened and really our lowest point as a company. And Chris, another co-author, myself and Muhammad had all traveled to San Francisco and we went to Twitter, Uber, and Facebook's campuses all in the same day and got a chance to meet some folks and engage with some people. And I just remember sitting in the car, we were driving through the streets of San Francisco, looking for a blue bottle coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and Muhammad was sitting there just devastated because yeah. he he had seen what an environment that really kind of began this transformation in workplace cultures where people felt included and they felt excited to be a part of something. And he had experienced a little taste of that by visiting these companies. And, and I just saw 
this massive, just, it was almost like if he could just flip a switch and the culture change and he change and the perception of how people felt about him change, he would do it in that moment. Mm -hmm. And that's when I really recognized in that car driving through San, San Francisco, that he was very committed to making this change and that he wanted to become that person that that you know he could feel proud to lead a company and that people would want to, to follow him. Well, thank you for that, Frank. And Mo, thank you. I mean, it was absolutely inspiring, your um, genuineness in, in sharing that story, right? The And being transparent like that was absolutely inspirational in this moment to me. And I can't even imagine what that might, must have been like for yourself and for the others that you work with. So thank you for sharing that story because it's those kind of uh, inside stories, right? Me meaning they take place inside our heads that I think are so important. Ultimately, they inform a lot of the strategy going forward. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, and this is the part where if we were all in the room together, I would, you know, Frank and Muhammad, I would pinch you a little bit and be like, you are real. Like you are real leaders that are leading this way. And I spend my day with leaders and I'm very lucky to have a lot of clients and leaders and to see people that give me hope. Um, but that transformation really gives me hope. And, and I'd love to ask the question to both of you, you know, because I do focus so much in, you know, that intimate one-on-one -on -one space, Frank and Mohammed, and whoever wants to take this first, please do. What were the internal, what were your personal changes and shifts and transformations that you as the leaders of this organization and both of these organizations had to make in order to change the bigger culture? Um. A lot had to be changed. But <laughs> That's a big I, question for Muhammad. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> but I think I think if I was just to like simplify it, it all I think the most the changes that had the biggest impact were probably the simplest things or the smallest things I had to do. Surprisingly, when I first daunted on this, I was like, oh my gosh, I, this is so much uh it seemed like a daunting task. And how do I transform myself. I have so much work to do. And uh, surprisingly, the little things I did had the biggest impact uh, on the people around me. And, um, you know, I, I did, I just realized just doing small things like bringing in a coffee for someone else at the office or writing a thank you note or just offering to share my lunch with someone at the office. That Nobody expected their CEO to walk around the hallway and say, hey, anybody want to have a bite with me and mm. I have some food here? And those little moments and things that really didn't take a lot of effort um, had, the, had an outsized impact on how people felt and um, received me, but then also interacted back towards me as a result of those small interactions. And those were like the building blocks that I think started to change the culture. But also for me, it was an easier path to do small micro things that made a big difference to others. And uh, that, that, that was for me. I don't know if that answers the question, but that's where I'll it leave does. it. <laughs> well, the ripple effects I hear, when you change how you show up, everybody naturally change and changes in response to that because they have mm -hmm. to. If you've never, you know, if the four of us work together and you've never brought me a coffee and one yeah. morning you suddenly do, I'm going to engage in you differently. And as, right. a, as an, a fellow believer in the power of small steps, that's, that's powerful. Thank you. Frank, what about you? I would say that, you know, what you just mentioned, Laura, and really 
Muhammad's approach really started with recognizing the impact that culture and the focus on building better culture actually has. Mm. And lots of times leaders ignore the idea of, of creating, you know, cultural initiatives and focusing on people and things. Cause they just, they, they don't see how the people align with the profits. And I'm like, wait a second, that's your biggest asset. Those are the individuals <laughs> that are literally making you the money that you have to do the things you do. Um, so for me, the biggest aha moment uh, was when we when I started to realize that that culture is not the perks and the benefits. Culture is the way we behave with each other. It's about the emotional environment we create and the behaviors that build it. So if Muhammad comes in and brings me a coffee, I am some I'm now being engaged with someone who's behaving differently, right? And his sacrificial servant leadership approach of bringing me a coffee when I didn't ask for it starts to showcase to me this is the type of behavior that can propagate through an organization. And, and when I learned that culture happens in every interaction, every single conversation, every discussion we have, it spreads and sets the tone for everybody else. And, you know, I'm a kind of a nerd. So I think about culture, like the force in star Wars, it's all around us. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. You, you can, you can, you can feel it, but you can't necessarily see it, but when I started to learn and recognize, I think all of us went on this journey, you know, Muhammad, when we started to recognize that culture is nothing more than the behaviors of each other, then I started to think about myself personally and having more self-awareness around how I behave and how my behavior directly impacts the people to my left, to my right, in front of me, my leadership, the people that are working under me, all of those things. It has a significant impact. Yeah. And we know that every interaction is impactful. And we also know that humans tend to hang on to the negative interactions much more than the positive. And I hear these little changes really up to that ratio, you know, more positive interactions with each of you than challenging ones. Yeah. How do y'all maintain it? You know, I hear everything you're describing to me is taking the concept of love and putting it into action. So how do you maintain it? You know, now it's six, seven years later. How do you keep it going? So first of all, we, we've uh, managed our expectations that this is a journey with no destination. Mm. This is a permanent state of transformation. So we should never stop striving for improving. But then what's been very helpful for me personally is the accountability um, that I have seen um, from my teammates, including Frank, who's on this call. Uh, so I appreciate the accountability that uh, we have for one another, the support we provide for one another through uh, that accountability. And it doesn't matter if it's coming from the last seat, last show, or my direct reports, or from my customers, or even my wife and kids Mm -hmm. at times. I think I've had to create that environment for the folks around me to feel psychologically safe, to give me that feedback, to hold me accountable when I slip up, when I make mistakes, when I do things that is not representative of this culture. And that's been very important to sustain this type of culture because most organizations fail with their culture initiatives because they don't lay down the foundations for proper accountability. And we've worked really hard to practice it. And we call that tough love. Hmm. And uh, we have ensured that we can have those difficult conversations that traditionally 
pe- people in the corporate workplace will not have, especially if there's levels and hierarchy in play. And so we've encouraged uh, our team to hold each other accountable um, and support one another that way, because that's what it means to love one another and support one another. So that's been our secret sauce to, I think, continue to sustain, but also grow together uh, as a team in this journey. Yeah, I think to add to that, you know, we are 1000% imperfect people. Trying <laughs> thank God to... it's not just us. <laughs> okay, thank goodness. We can just, can we be honest for a second? Yeah, I mean, really. We are not perfect. Um, and you know, that's, that's actually why we wrote the book is because we, we wanted to be like, can we say, can we share like our mistake, like our failures? Can we actually drive most of this book from how we've messed up? Right. Right. It's more of a juicy expose than anything else. Really. It's just like, Hey, here's all the stuff we did wrong. Enjoy. Um, but (laughs) we are constantly making mistakes and everybody does, but whether or not we're being vulnerable is a big part of helping to maintain this culture and this approach. And mm-hmm. so another kind of key component here, uh, you know, outside of the, the honesty and uh, honesty over harmony and the idea of tough love is being vulnerable and maintaining that state of vulnerability with each other and being quick to forgive, which is something that is not very often talked about in the workplace of the impact of our misbehaviors or our unforgiveness that we have towards others. And so as we're practicing honesty, as we're okay with being more honest and open with people, we're also able to own our mistakes Mm -hmm. and ask for forgiveness or apologize when we make mistakes that impact the people around us. And I feel like those are also some of those elements that help us maintain this and continue to grow it for the next generation of team members and leaders that, that are able to, um, you know, inherit what we're trying to create. And I like that you use the word practice, Frank, because I think that just, you know, that evidences the whole philosophy of we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes and creating the safety where the culture allows, you know, both of you to be viewed as the leaders who are open to that feedback. So if I'm an individual contributor, I can say to Muhammad, like, you know, Hey, this thing really didn't sit well with me. And for both of you, and I'm sure the other leaders in the organizations to be humble enough to receive that feedback is just, again, it's love in action. The, the air does not get sucked out of the room when someone gives Muhammad feedback. Yeah. Usually what ends up happening is Muhammad is like, thank you so much for having the courage to tell me that I appreciate <laughs> it more than, you know, right. and it's a very different experience when someone actually has a reaction from a leader or rather a response from a leader that is from a perspective of humility and thankfulness, because your perspective, your situation is important to Muhammad or to myself or to anybody. Mm -hmm. And it actually helps us understand a little bit more about how we're viewed. And so when, when we have those interactions and engagements with our team members and someone has feedback critical or otherwise from Muhammad, he's very willing to accept it because, you know, he, you know, he, knows the value of it. And, and that's really what we're trying to create. Frank, I noticed that you just um, switched the word reaction to response. And I just want to tip my hat to you for that. Cause that there's a very big difference between those two things. There, there is. And um, we actually, <laughs> Muhammad, can you do me some, a favor, a solid on this one? That. <laughs> the reason why I switched it from react to respond is because um, when we talk about servant leadership, one of the, one of the key tenets of servant leadership that we've explored and experienced that Muhammad writes about in in the servant leadership chapter is around the idea of responding instead of reacting. And there's a story we tell 
Can you quickly share that story, Mohammed? Because I think it's actually, it's really great. Sure. No. So for the longest time, I've always uh, considered uh, reaction and react and respond to be synonyms of each other. And it wasn't until one of my team members from our India office uh, sent me a WhatsApp message with a cockroach story that I really understood the difference. Uh, So very quickly, uh, imagine yourself in a restaurant and there's a cockroach that lands on the table where uh, the patrons are eating. And everybody at the table started to jump, scream, yell. Some of them even stood up on their chairs and then they swatted the cockroach only for the cockroach to go land at another customer's table. And the customers at that table did the exact same thing. And they swatted the cockroach again. Only this time, the cockroach landed on the back of the shirt of one of the customers and did not realize that there was a cockroach behind uh, his shirt. This whole time, there was a Vader who was uh, watching and observing this whole thing uh, play out in front of him. So he walks up to the person who had the cockroach on the back of his shirt. He slowly grabs hold of the cockroach, walks out the restaurant and let it go. Hmm. And uh, the moral of the story was everyone at the tables, they were reacting and the waiter was responding. Mm-hmm. Um, and surprisingly enough, it took that cockroach story for me to understand the difference between react versus respond. And since then, we have a whole principle around how to respond instead of react. So yeah. that's the story. I Thank you, Mohammed. That. That's a great story. Thank you for that. That's incredible. Oh, no and it's a great segue uh, for me because I have been curious as how did the employees and the team and your customers respond then to this um, change? Are there things that show up in your business practices uh, the other type of practice, because we we're talking about practice earlier, but are there things that show up in your business practices, the way reviews are done or you're hiring, uh, the way the service is provided that are different from what, and I suspect they are, from what they would have already experienced, either if they were with the company from the beginning or they've come from someplace else. And mm-hmm. how do they respond to this? I would love to hear more about that. Uh, absolutely. No, it's been phenomenal, the response that we've gotten from all the way from recruiting to candidates to um, how people operate and behave at our company once they've joined. Um, so essentially, from a recruitment standpoint, people are like just amazed that we would have a culture uh, like that of a culture of love and we have a book about it and, you know, everything they encounter in terms of our videos or material, they're like, okay, this is too good to be real. And right. But at the same time, we'd love to be a part of this organization. So from a recruitment standpoint, it's been amazing for us. It's been a competitive advantage. And then once awesome. people get in to the organization, we've been able to see how people are able to uh, bring their full self to work, their their authentic self, because they, they're seeing an environment where people are appreciated for their differences, their difference of opinion, their ideas, their feedback. And ultimately, that has led our organization to uh, be a higher performing organization as a result of this culture. And that has resulted in better products and services for our customers. And our customers in turn have seen how there's been an uptick in the quality of our solutions, the 
uh, g- uh, the genuinity of her solutions and mm-hmm. uh, you know how great it is that they then have asked us to help them with their culture and say, hey, we would love to have that culture that you guys have. Mm. And and uh, uh, a Fortune 2 company in, in our town here even went to the extent of saying, hey, we'd love for you guys to provide leadership training for our leaders because uh, we've tried uh, different uh, consulting firms to help transform our culture and leadership training. And we have T-shirts to prove we've been to those trainings, but... Um, <laughs> nothing has really changed. And we've been like, yeah, but that's not what we do. We're a technology firm. We're not a culture firm. And they're like, no, we, we trust you. Please, please uh, uh, do a pilot and just try it out. In fact, we ended up doing a pilot in 2018. And next thing you know, they put us on, a, on a flights to travel to 10 different countries and help train 1,400 leaders from 46 different countries coming to these locations worldwide. And we've helped them with their leadership uh, training, but also help transform a culture of a 10,000 employee business unit. And that's when we found our new calling. That's when we found our new right, purpose is to right. bring back humanity to the workplace. And uh, that's what gave birth to culture as a service as a result of that experience. So it has influenced our own organization. It has influenced the quality of the work we produce. It has influenced our customers so much so that we had to create a whole different service offering and spin-off spin off Culture Plus as a company to offer culture as a service. Isn't that fabulous? Because I was getting goosebumps as you were telling the story, because this is that, what for so many people, that elusive creating real, underline, real value for others, right? Improving their lives in some way that hasn't really happened before. And that's what I'm hearing in your story. And the fact that they're asking you to do this I'm like, yeah, that's, that's it. That's the secret sauce in there that, and it's so genuine that I'm getting a little tongue tied. I have so many (laughs) ideas coming at once and words, but that's, that's the real deal. And, and um, for that, as a focus group of one, I will reflect back to you that I am uh, thrilled and so grateful that you are doing this because there's a model in here. And I think you both have shared so much about what can be done um, that, and this is what we love to do is, is share these stories. So thank you so much and congratulations on, on work well done and well-deserved that your, your company had to create a whole new spinoff service company. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. We <laughs> talk about this all the journey. time, right? Doing yeah. good business. It's possible, profitable, impact with opportunity. And you are really making that so real for our listeners. So thank you so much. Awesome. Frank, what are some of the ways, and Mohammed, you as well, but I'm curious, you know, how do you see this today when you, and you know, it's year 9 million, month 9 million of the pandemic, but when you walk around either your virtual hallways or your actual hallways, how do you see that this is still happening? Like, what is the evidence that you get to see when you walk in? We are 100% virtual now, oh, cool. uh, which is which was a big shift for us. And yeah. so, you know, we had to we had to work very hard on retaining and continuing to build this culture in a new environment. Because beforehand, you know, we we weren't we weren't remote. We were in person, at least in the U.S. And so, for now, what's like what's exciting to me is you can still feel the energy of care when, and I know that may sound strange, but 
there there is an energy, a sense of a sense of connection with people, even virtually, when you're looking at somebody on a screen or even you know no cameras on, having conversations, that you you can get the sense that there is this extra layer of care that people have for you, in the way they co- have conversations with you, the way people are checking in on you throughout the day, unprompted, um, and and just creating an environment where people feel like they are cared for and still seen is a a large challenge that we didn't really anticipate having because you know when we had started to build out this approach and this philosophy and this framework it you know we never imagined that we would be a fully remote fully virtual company having to continuously build this culture and then bringing it to other clients and and, and everyone else but because this is just around human connection and relationship building we have really been able to see it pay off in helping us continue to build momentum through the pandemic in terms of building relationships. And now as we're starting to move into just another growth phase, essentially at Softway, um, these relationships are starting to pay off. The, the, The structure that we have created is really starting to build into high performance like we've never seen before. Hmm. And so that's, what's most exciting for me is we were able to pivot um, not with a few mistakes along the way and some some bumps in the road because that is part of the process. But now we're starting to see a truly high performing company emerge, even after this massive pivot. And I believe that if it wasn't for the resilience that we had built from creating this culture, we wouldn't have been able to get to this point. Hmm. Well, thank you for that, Frank. This is Kelly because um, I was going to ask because I think people get tired of hearing me talk about my opinion of it. But, you know, if someone comes to you and says, yeah, but what's the ROI on that, right? <laughs> like we talk about return on energy. And so uh, thank you for, for answering my question already because um, high performance, right? Resilience, these are all the things that lead to innovation and service. And, um, and I trust you have found ways to measure all of that if that's something that you want to do, you know, um, but certainly the proof is in the pudding. So we actually did build a measurement tool ah, to address this go. exact same question because there are a lot of C-suites in leadership that are very data-driven, um, mm-hmm. that focus a lot on data. Fine. So, sure. and, 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 you know, something like culture is an intangible and it's hard to measure. So we created a product called Culture Counter and it essentially measures the experience that people are having around uh, what we call the six pillars of culture of love which is inclusion, um, empowerment, uh, forgiveness, vulnerability, trust, and uh, empathy. And we use that as leading behavior indicators and then tie it back to their KPIs, their key performance indicators. And we're able to show them through tracking this data that when your leading indicators of behavior are improving, inside of your organization, your key performance indicators are lagging indicators and you see the results in your key performance indicators, whether that's, you know, revenue, sales, Mm -hmm. safety, quality, you'll see it go up. So we built a whole uh, culture counter model. So a C-suite or leadership can see as culture is improving their outcomes and business outcomes and, uh, uh, you know, objectives are also being met or improving as a result. And we show that all in one dashboard. Love it. Love that play on words too. culture counter counter culture, because you've got right now for the time being a counter culture of love, hopefully it becomes the standard. But I love that. Thank you, Muhammad. 
I just want to say thank you for quantifying that, Mom, because in my world, I, you know, the best that I've been able to come up with is I have yet to see a company where if you if you don't focus on the humans that the numbers don't follow. And I said that very poorly, so I'm going to try again. But I've yet to see a company <laughs> where if you focus on the humans, the numbers always follow. I've been doing this a long time, and it yes. always happens that way. And yes. I love that you quantified it. Like, now I'm the one that's at a loss for words and saying poorly because <laughs> I'm always just like, no, no, just trust me. Just trust me. It's all about the humans. We've got to work with the humans. That's why. Yeah. Yes. I, but it's I true. I was oh, going to say too many companies are focused on the HFPWs or the high fives per week. You know, yes. how many high fives have been given Yeah. Yes. Yes. between, yeah. I, I, or, you know, there used to be hugs, maybe it's fist bumps now. I don't even know. <laughs> but, so, yeah. We, we, we have a saying that we're all keep repeating, uh, Lara, is we say behaviors are the bottom line. So mm. ultimately oh, behaviors yeah. are what drive any number on the financial spreadsheet. Uh, there is always a behavior well, attached that? to every number. Uh, and so we attribute like behaviors at the bottom line, and that's how we use it uh, with our culture counter tool. That is awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I completely agree. It's- and Laura, you're right. We we don't frequently see a headline that says this company went out of business because they were just too good with their employees. Yeah, they were too kind. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I am. Um, really just thrilled. And and y'all with the quantification of all of the soft and soft skills, I hate that phrase. Kelly and I talk about oh, it all the critical time. skills, yeah, yeah. critical exactly. skills. Exactly. Thank critical you. Critical skills. Thank that, you. That's, that's essential exactly to success. Yeah, yep. exactly. And the fact that you have quantified them and you've, you know, not only saved one company, it's funny, the um, spoiler alert for our listeners, but the next episode that Kelly and I are going to um, put out is called no mud, no Lotus. And this is truly the lotus of the mud that y'all went through back in 2015. Um, and it's it's truly inspirational. It's, you know, it's proof of concept of the entire reason this podcast exists. You can do business differently. You can use business as a force for good in the world. Um, and Frank and Mo, is there anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with before we tragically have to part ways? Because I kind of just want to hang out all day and I'll make the fancy coffee, Frank. Just please hang out with me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Yes. I, I, I will say, and Muhammad, I, I, I'll, I'll say something if you, then if you want to close out after me, but um, you know, I, we completely agree. And when, and we, we, we believe that we spend more, well, we don't believe we know we spend more awake hours with our colleagues than we do our family. Yeah. Um, if you add up all the time you spend with people, you're spending a lot of time with your colleagues, with the people that you work with. So that's that's a great reason to start thinking about how to create a better culture and mm-hmm. you don't have to look at the the executive leadership team or your leaders around you or the managers around you or anything like that and and just wish that a new culture could be formed as a result of their action or inaction it really does come down to you yeah and and all of us have the ability to change our behavior for good to impact the lives of other people around us and to be and to bring humanity back to the workplace. Yes. Yes, yes. That was awesome, Frank. Thank you. I have nothing to add. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> when you focus on the humans, the business follows, the business grows, the business thrives and um and sometimes the business becomes a second business and a book and 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 and, and. so thank Shoot. you. Yeah. Thank you both for obviously for being here today, but on a grander scheme for what you're doing in the world and Look, it's a shit time in our world right now. Let's just call it what it is. And part Fair of what, point. 
Yeah. And, and part of what makes Kelly and I really dedicated to doing this is to show people the and, you know, there is so much more, there is good in the world. There are businesses that are making the world better by being in business. And you all really exemplify that. So thank you for bringing some love into, um, you know, into the day today and into all of our listeners ears. Well, thank you for doing what you're doing because we need more voices out there in the world to share this message and let, let people have hope that there is an alternative reality to the workplace mm-hmm. and love can have a work, you know, a love and humanity can exist at the workplace with profit. So you guys are doing a phenomenal job just being able to spread that awareness. So thank you. Thank you. They can, they thank should, you. and they have to, you know, I think we, yes. are, we are past the point of this being optional. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Agreed. Sweet. Thank you all so much. Thank you all of our listeners. And uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with no mud, no Lotus. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Doing Good Business. We hope you'll tune in regularly, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and most importantly, tell a friend or a few. It's how we can build the critical mass to make the world a better place through business. The Doing Good Business podcast is brought to you by Laura Heacock of Laura Heacock Consulting and Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business. Learn how you can work with us at doinggoodbusiness.com slash the hosts. Let us know what you like about the podcast and what else you'd like to hear about through our online form on the contact page of doinggoodbusiness.com. We'll see you next time.